This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for August 31st, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. The Steele dossier is a private intelligence report written by former MI6 British foreign intelligence agent Christopher Steele, and it is part of the debate over special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. But what's in it? What are the links to the Russia investigation? Who are the key players listed in this document? And what role could it play moving forward? To answer those questions and more, we're joined by Vox co-founder Matthew Iglesias. As a senior correspondent focused on politics and economic policy, he has been covering extensively the ins and outs of the Steele dossier. He sits down with C-SPAN to cover what's in it, why it's important, and whether or not it's credible. As we break down the basic elements of the Steele dossier, let me begin with the principle behind this document. Who is Christopher Steele? So Christopher Steele is a former agent of British intelligence agency, MI6, who uh, has some specialization in the field of Russia. He retired and was contracted by a company called Fusion GPS to assemble information about Donald Trump and and Russia. And so he, in that capacity, wrote a series of memos that have come to be known as the Steele dossier. And they make a, a variety of sort of allegations about Donald Trump, his campaign in Russia, and also about the Russian government's view of Trump in the 2016 campaign. Campaign. And Michael Cohen plays a key part in all of this. I bring that up because uh, now he is cooperating with federal investigators. According to the document, which we should point out has been published on a number of different sites, including BuzzFeed, he traveled to Russia in either late August and or early September of 2016. To do what? Well, so Michael Cohn, according to this dossier, was a sort of key intermediary between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Uh, And this is due to uh, Michael Cohn, we know, has significant sort of family ties to the former Soviet world. Um, And so in the dossier, it says in particular that Michael Cohn traveled to Prague to have meetings with Russian officials. Uh, Whether that's true or not has been the subject of a a lot of dispute. Uh, Cohn says it is not true um, in his plea agreement uh, in which he, he makes some allegations about Donald Trump. He does not verify what it says in the dossier here. If that is true, it would obviously be a, a huge piece of evidence of collusion. Uh, but there's there's very little basis for believing that it is true. Let me go to some of uh, President Trump's tweets from mid-August. He said, will Bruce Orr, whose family received big money for helping to create the phony, dirty, and discredited dossier, ever be fired from the Jeff Sessions, quote, Justice Department, calling it a total joke. And then in a separate tweet, he talks about his, quote, beautiful wife, Nellie. What's this all about? So Bruce Orr is a career official in the Justice Department, and he has had a variety of different roles there over the years. Uh, His wife, Nellie, works for Fusion GPS, and it appears that through her connection to her husband, uh, Steele's work was brought to the attention of the Justice Department, which did meet with Steele, talked to him, checked it out. The implication that Trump has been making is that the entire FBI inquiry into this was prompted by Steele and by Steele's dossier. He would like to paint a picture in which 
the whole thing is essentially an inside job. Uh, and as far as we can tell, that's simply not true. Uh, the FBI did look into Steele and the dossier. He is a person they know and who they regarded as credible and worth listening to. But he's not the reason that they started this inquiry. And his work is not the basis of any of the prosecutions that we've seen. You have read this document. It's more than 35 pages. You've also written extensively at Vox.com. Do you find it credible? I think this document has been the source of a lot of myths on both sides, that uh, on the one hand, you have liberals who say that this document has been substantially verified by things we've learned later. That's not really true. Some of what it says has been backed up, but but a lot of it really hasn't. Uh, on the other hand, conservatives have created a sort of counter-narrative in which this document was central to the entire investigation. And, and that's not true either. I mean, this is a document, it was worth looking into, right? Christopher Steele is, is not a nobody. He has some ability to know. Uh, some of the stuff he said in here seems to have checked out. But fundamentally, this is not the real record of Trump and Russia. And it's also not the real record of the FBI investigation into Trump and Russia. The company Fusion GPS. Glenn Simpson is a key player behind this. Uh, what is Fusion GPS and who is Glenn Simpson? So Glenn Simpson's a, a veteran Wall Street Journal reporter. Um, he, he left that job. Uh, you know, as you know, a, a lot of newspapers have sort of been shedding people over, over the past decades. And, and he now has uh, this company, Fusion GPS, which does a number of sort of quasi-intelligence things, including opposition research for political campaigns. He was contracted originally by supporters of Marco Rubio to do opposition research into Donald Trump. And then later, Mark Elias, who is an attorney who works for the Democratic National Committee, also worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign, he sort of took over as the guy who was paying for this work to be done. And, you know, it's it's a standard thing in political campaigns to hire people to look into the past of your opponents. Trump was an unusual candidate. There's some unusual elements to his backstory. It's a little bit unusual to have a former British spy doing the oppo research. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, this is part of what happens in political campaigns. People with an interest try to dig up dirt on their opponents. And sometimes it's true. Let me come back to this in a moment, but first talk about the work that you do at Vox and Vox.com. What is your site? Uh, Vox.com is a, we, we, um, our sort of general interest news publication for the digital world. Uh, we, we try to focus a lot on what we call explanatory journalism. We try to help people understand, you know, not just the, the latest sort of thing that happened, but like what's the big context? What's the sort of long overarching story? And... You know, that really plays in with this. We have constant micro developments now in sort of Trump tweeting at Bruce Orr, trying to get him fired. He's mad at Jeff Sessions. And, and it's easy to lose sight of, like, what what was the big picture here? Like, what's really going on? And for you personally, Matthew Iglesias, as a reporter now with Vox, what is your background? Uh, you know, I've been covering American politics for about 15 years. I've been covering Trump and this dossier for, for years now. And it's something that also as someone who, who follows the, the media a lot and follows, uh, you know, just, just what people are saying, it's become encrusted with incredible layers of myth on both sides. And there's frankly, in my opinion, just less to this dossier than people on either the left or the right would often like to say. Back in February, you wrote an extensive piece explaining the Steele dossier, and you make the following points, that that meeting that took place in June of 2016 at Trump Tower is not mentioned, and George Papadopoulos doesn't come up. 
Right. So this is important because if you were trying to forget all about the dossier, what have we learned about Trump and Russia? What are the most sort of damning elements that have cast his campaign in a bad light. We know that it's George Papadopoulos who was initially kind of running his mouth about Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton. That was the real start of the FBI inquiry. And we also know that this meeting happened at Trump Tower, where there was a, an attorney with links to the Russian government who was set up with Trump's uh, kids and who held a meeting with Trump's campaign manager, with Donald Trump Jr., with Jared Kushner. And she she was claiming that she was going to be able to offer dirt on Hillary Clinton. Um, we don't really know what happened in that meeting, what Donald Trump knew about it, but it's very much at the center of Robert Mueller's inquiry and of the current sort of political controversy. And it's striking and telling that Steele did not find out about that. And he also didn't find out about George Papadopoulos because those are really the two main pillars of controversy at this point. And it seems to me most likely that if Steele, if Steele's sources in the Russian government were really as good as he thinks that they were, this kind of stuff that we now know to be true would have been in the dossier. But he missed it, and it seems like he missed it because he didn't really quite have an in into this. Is Christopher Steele a credible person? The FBI regarded him as credible. He has a real professional background and real expertise into this. But I have to say, at this point, I don't know why you would bank on anything in this dossier being true beyond what we've already seen in the public record. Well, having said that, let me just read some excerpts and get your reaction. First, quote, the Russian regime has been cultivating, supporting and assisting Trump for at least five years, endorsed by Vladimir Putin. The point that the Russians liked Trump and liked his campaign is, I think, at this point, not that controversial. We have seen a ton of evidence from Facebook and other Internet companies that Russian government people were putting out pro-Trump material. During the 2016 campaign, this was very hotly denied, right? If you had said during that campaign, look, all this stuff is happening because the Russians want Trump to win, that would have been a very contentious kind of statement. Now, of course, it's not illegal for the Russian government to like you. The conversation has kind of shifted to criminality, collusion, things like that. And the mere fact that the Russians favored Trump and, and wanted to promote him in politics um, doesn't establish anything, anything illegal, although it's politically salient. I mean, you might ask yourself as a voter, why do I want to vote for the guy who Vladimir Putin wants me to vote for? Also from the document, quote, Russians have injected further anti-Clinton material into the plausible deniability leaks, the pipeline which will continue to surface. And Putin is angry with senior officials who, quote, overpromised on Trump. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one, right? This is something we don't know that much about because this is the real intelligence inside the Russian world, right? Not the kind of thing that Mueller has been looking into, not something that American journalists have a great sense of. He's alleging there that, that Putin was having some buyer's remorse about this whole Trump thing. Now, is that true? Has he gone hot and cold on Trump? Uh, you know, I don't know anyone in the world who hasn't been on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster with, with Donald Trump over the years. But it's it's just very hard to say. Right. Like, did that really happen? I have no idea. Earlier this summer in Helsinki, Finland, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, was asked about this document and some of the more salacious elements of the document. Here is what he said through a translator. 
And now to the compromising material. Yeah, I did heard these rumors that we allegedly collected compromising material on Mr. Trump when he was visiting Moscow. Well, distinguished colleague, let me tell you this. When President Trump visited Moscow back then, I didn't even know that he was in Moscow. I treat President Trump with utmost respect, but back then, when he was a private individual, a businessman, nobody informed me that he was in Moscow. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, earlier this summer in Helsinki, Finland, his words through a translator. And Matthew Iglesias, let me go back to this document, specifically what was referred to in that exchange. Former top Russian intelligence officials claim they have compromised material on Trump enough to, quote, blackmail him. Yes. And so this is a reference to what has become the most famous or infamous allegation in the report, which is that there is a video recording of Donald Trump with prostitutes in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Moscow and that this is being used to blackmail him. Um, That's an interesting claim. It's obviously something that is striking to people. I think it's also clear from what we've learned sort of since Trump has taken office, that he really could have been blackmailed by the Russians, not necessarily on that kind of salacious grounds, but simply because he was denying that this meeting at Trump Tower had ever taken place. And the Russians obviously knew that it had, right? Uh, We know from Michael Flynn that he had secret meetings with the Russians, tried to deny it. So there have been many opportunities in which the Russian government has sort of had an informational upper hand on Trump and on Trump's team. On the other hand, you know, this is a a completely unverified thing. I I think that, you know, it makes Trump very angry that this allegation is out there. I think that he has some justification in that. Now, on the other hand, we know that Donald Trump was making these uh, hush money payments to some former mistresses of his uh, using the National Enquirer, using Michael Cohen. So, you know, Donald Trump is obviously the kind of person who has secrets, and he has secrets that he will pay money to keep secret. And that is the kind of thing that if we weren't talking about the president, right, if we were just talking about you're trying to get a security clearance for a regular job in the American national security community, it would be a huge problem for you. Some other key figures in all of this. Mm. Carter Page. Who is he? So Carter Page is a guy who had been living in Russia, an American guy. He surfaced somewhat mysteriously as a foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump. Uh, Trump named him himself in an interview with the Washington Post editorial board. He was in that picture. He, he's in a picture with him. He was. This was at a time when the Trump team was very thin. And he says, Carter Page is an energy expert. Uh, he's on my team. Page also had a bunch of meetings in Russia sort of representing himself as an emissary from Trump. Uh, in the dossier, it says, Page is a, is a big figure in the dossier, which suggests that he met with some very high-level Russian intelligence people and was an important go-between. I think it's not clear whose side Page was on, if anybody's, right? It's entirely possible he was representing himself to Trump as more connected to Russia than he really was, and representing himself to Russia as more connected to Trump than he really was. But he's some kind of He's some kind of shady player. You know, he's he's working some kind of angles that nobody to this day really fully understands. As you know, during the height of the campaign, candidate Trump was touting the Russians saying, release the emails. My question is, did either candidate Trump or the Trump campaign have any advanced knowledge that the Russians had the emails of the Hillary Clinton campaign, including John Podesta, her campaign manager? 
This is a really key question, right? Their current story is no. They had no advanced knowledge of this. Now, at the time, it kind of seemed like maybe they did, right? Trump announced a speech that was going to be about Hillary Clinton's secrets. Uh, and, and he made that announcement right before the Russians started making these releases. He, at a press conference, sort of openly called on the Russians to release more material. Steele in the dossier says that there was foreknowledge and there was communication. Uh, we know that there was this meeting at Trump Tower that was on the subject of dirt. And importantly, I mean, I think as just part of the plausibility of this, we know that Paul Manafort, who was Trump's campaign manager, had worked with Russian figures in the past as a political consultant, right? So the big question is, the Russians had this email. They wanted to release it. They wanted to make a difference in American politics. At the same time, they had this campaign operative, Paul Manafort, who had worked for them in the past, who was working for free for Donald Trump, who was deeply in debt, we've learned, to some Russian oligarchs. And were they working with Manafort? on the sort of timing of these emails, their release, things like that. The truth is, we don't know. The special counsel is clearly trying to turn Manafort into a cooperator. Manafort so far is refusing to cooperate. And we're going to have to see if either he changes his mind or if Mueller has more evidence to bring. So take us back to September, October of 2016. Clearly, the Clinton campaign knew this Steele dossier was out there. But as you point out in your piece at Vox.com, it did not become a big deal until after the election. Explain. Right. So before Election Day, the Clinton campaign, they knew that they had this dossier. They had, I think, tried to shop it around. Journalists were aware that it existed. They were looking into it. Nobody was really able to fully verify any of the key claims. Um, the dossier breaks into public awareness after the election. Donald Trump is president-elect of the United States, and he is briefed by the heads of various intelligence agencies, including then-FBI director James Comey, on the existence of the dossier and on the existence of an FBI counterintelligence inquiry. They sort of, I think, have two goals. One is they want Trump to know that this is happening. Second, I think they wanted to get into the public record that this was happening because there was an awareness that Trump might try to quash the investigation. Then uh, shortly after that, BuzzFeed makes the decision to do what other journalists hadn't done and actually publish the dossier. Uh, a number of people had seen the dossier, had read it, were trying to do follow-up reporting on it. And BuzzFeed said, look, as long as this dossier is shaping a lot of what's happening behind the scenes in Washington politics, the American people have a right to see what it says. As you read through the document, what questions remain? I think the biggest question that, that is outstanding from this document and from the inquiry really centers around Paul Manafort, right? How much did Trump know about Manafort's ties to the Russians? And how much did Manafort know about the Russians' activities vis-a-vis Trump. We've seen on the Russian side that there was an active, engaged pro-Trump effort. Uh, we have a few dangling questions about, you know, these associated Trump aides. Did Michael Cohn go to Prague? Uh, but we really see Manafort at the center of this. He had some extensive financial and political ties to the Russian government. And the Russian government was trying to help Donald Trump win the election. Paul Manafort was also trying to help Donald Trump win the election. Were they working together? Another player in all of this, Michael Flynn, for a while serving as the national security advisor, but leaving in February of 2017. Yeah, so Michael Flynn uh, was the sort of 
intellectual architect, I would say, of the idea of a pro-Russian foreign policy in the United States. Flynn had been uh, working with RT, the Russian television network. He had been working with Donald Trump. He had this kind of um, big idea of the U.S. and Russia revising their relationships in the Middle East, collaborating with Bashar al-Assad. And during the transition, Flynn had been designated to be national security advisor. And he was also having these meetings, these conversations with the Russian government. And he then got caught up in some some fairly serious lying about those conversations, as well as it turns out, unrelatedly, um, payments from the government of Turkey, which got him into legal hot water. Uh, so he's fired his national security advisor. He is pleading guilty to um, misstatements to the FBI and, and on his um, his foreign agent registration forms. And he's cooperating with the special counsel. But we don't yet know what he is saying to the special counsel. He has not been called as a witness in any kind of proceedings that we're aware of. And we don't really know what story he has to tell. Animosity may be too polite of a word, but the relationship between Hillary Clinton and Vladimir Putin, why so much distaste or hatred? So, you know, this goes back, it's in the Steele dossier, but I think well established by by the rest of the record that when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, she was the face of certain American government activities in Eastern Europe and in Russia that Putin saw as an American-led effort to overthrow his government. Uh, Then... Putin gets into escalating conflicts with the Obama administration over Syria and over Ukraine and views Clinton, though, as more personally hostile to him and also more generally hawkish on foreign policy than even Obama was. And he also sees Donald Trump as unusually friendly to Russia for a Republican. So he's faced with this um, sort of dual opportunities where, on the one hand, the Democrats have swapped out uh, Barack Obama for Hillary Clinton, who he likes less. Republicans have a bunch of very hawkish figures, and then also Donald Trump. And he's able to promote Trump in the Republican primaries, get a pro-Russian Republican Party nominee for the first time ever in American history, and then to try to tip the scale so that Trump can beat Clinton. The headline in the piece that you co-wrote at Vox.com, The Steele Dossier, explained, and let me focus on two final points. First of all, this has become the centerpiece of a conservative counter-narrative. Yes, exactly. So there is now an idea out there among conservatives, and particularly among Trump's closest allies in Congress, that this whole investigation is some kind of fraud. And that basically what happened is that Democrats paid an oppo research firm to pay a former British spy to make up a bunch of lies about Donald Trump. But again, pointing out this began with a Republican presidential candidate, Marco Rubio. Yes. And it's it's simply not true that the FBI inquiry began because this dossier was produced. But that's the the slippage that they keep wanting to make. That's why Trump keeps talking about Bruce Orr and his wife and how she worked for Fusion GPS. They would like you to believe that the entire premise of the investigation is false. Um And that, therefore, we should dismiss anything else that's happened. We should dismiss the fact that his national security advisor has pled guilty, that his deputy campaign manager has pled guilty, that his campaign manager was found guilty by a jury, that it's all kind of fake news. Witch hunt is is the phrase Trump uses. Um, 
And that's wrong. Uh, This inquiry was started because George Papadopoulos was telling people in London that the Russian government had dirt on Hillary Clinton and they were offering it to the Trump campaign. We know that dirt was offered. We know that the Trump campaign took the Trump Tower meeting. That's why there's an investigation. We have found some wrongdoing by some high-ranking Trump world figures. And time will tell if there's more. And I just want to underscore this point. You mentioned it earlier about Nellie Orr, that she is a Russian history expert. Yes. I mean, she is a person with genuine knowledge about Russia, as is Christopher Steele. Of course, that doesn't mean everything they say is right. But, you know, these are qualified people to be looking into this subject. And the final point from your piece, the dossier makes six major collusion claims, none proven. Exactly. If you look narrowly at the question of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, uh, we have not seen proof of that yet. Uh, The Steele dossier makes a, a bunch of specific claims about this. Some of them may be true. None of them have been proven true. Uh, we don't we don't really know. And so moving ahead, the Paul Manafort trial will begin on September the 24th. Where do you think all of this is heading? Well, Clearly, the way the special counsel wants it to head is that Paul Manafort sees the rising tide of legal trouble around him, decides to plead guilty, decides to offer testimony, and that testimony implicates other high-level Trump world figures, right? That's what people who don't like Trump are hoping for. Uh, That's what the special counsel seems to be hoping for, and it is certainly something that might happen. Another thing that might happen is Paul Manafort continues to stay strong. Uh, Republicans do well in the midterms. After the midterms are over, Trump fires Jeff Sessions, brings in a new attorney general, dismisses the special counsel. He pardons Manafort and anyone else and wraps the whole thing up in a bow. So it's two sort of very divergent worlds that, that we could come out of this, hinging on what happens on Election Day and what's going on in Paul Manafort's head. And, of course, the centerpiece in all of this, a document that uh, raises as many questions as answers. Matthew Iglesias is the co-founder of Vox.com. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app, also now available on Spotify and always on our website at cspan.org. We thank you for listening. 